You're listening to the Metamorph City Podcast, episode 29, for November 16th, 2008. Warning. This episode contains mature themes and explicit language. Listener discretion is advised. Metamorph City, a podcast series created by Chris Lester. For more information, please visit www.metamorphcity.com. Hey there, folks. Welcome back to the Metamore City Podcast. How you doing, everybody? Out here in the East Bay, we're just getting into that cool, wet weather that says that the rainy season has arrived, and for the next several months, we can expect a lot of clouds, a lot of moisture, and a lot of long, cold nights. Not that I'm complaining, mind you. If I were back in Michigan right now, I'd be dealing with frost in my car windows every morning, and winter hasn't even started yet. So... Here we are, mid-November. Students and teachers alike are hitting that end-of-the-semester drag, just waiting for winter vacation. I'm sure I'm not the only one who could use a little distraction from the schoolwork, so how about we get back to the story? Here's chapter 20 of Making the Cut, and here to introduce it is my longtime faithful listener and Twitter pal, David Van Sunder. Take it away, David. Hi there, Metamorphs. This is David Van Sunder from the personal finance podcast, Millionaire or Bust. You can find it at millionaireorbust.com. And now for the story so far. Daniel Shrabi has escaped imprisonment by his female alter ego, Danny, thanks to help from his former girlfriend, Rebecca, and her co-wife, Sasha. Their troubles are far from over, though. Daniel fears that Danny could retake control at any moment, and Rebecca has to deal with the tension that Daniel's presence is causing among the members of her breeding cell. Brian, Fiona, and Sasha are deeply troubled by the implications of what has happened to Daniel. In addition to the romantic friction his presence creates within the cell, there's the problem of whether Danny's brainwashing can be reversed. And then there's the much bigger problem of what to do about Jared Tamlin, who apparently has the power to change people's souls and make them want the things that he wants. The three cellmates agree that the rest of the hive must never learn what Jared can do. If the elders ever found out that this new psi power existed, they would undoubtedly try to turn it into a weapon. That's a power they don't trust anyone to use responsibly, not even their own people. For now, they decide that their first priority must be to help Daniel. Sasha agrees to take him to see Artax in the morning in the hope that the old wizard can find a way to reverse what Jared has done to Danny. The question of what to do about Jared himself will have to wait. Meanwhile, Miriam Bakhtavar's agents continue to search for Victor Hincabos, the former military operative who made up with the Psy Collective's most promising new telepath, Abby Preston. One of these agents, an old friend of Victor's named Egan Hunter, succeeded in tracking Victor and Abby to a dingy apartment on the first level of the city. When Egan tried to set up a stakeout though, he learned that the trail he had followed was actually a trap. Victor took him by surprise, and the neural circuitry installed by the Vampire Syndicate made him immune to Egan's telepathic attacks. Victor interrogated Egan, wanting to know which of the Hive Elders was directing the hunt for him and Abby. If Egan talked, Victor promised to kill him quickly and painlessly. If he didn't, his last hours of life promised to be much, much worse. Chapter 20 Saturday, June 22nd Daniel awoke feeling oddly constricted. His sleep-fuzzed brain struggled to remember why this would be, until he opened his eyes and looked down at himself. His body had changed back to its usual masculine shape, which didn't go well with the woman's jeans he was currently crammed into. The baby doll t-shirt Danny had been wearing wasn't much better. Wincing, Daniel peeled off the ill-fitting clothes, then lay back on the bed, gazing up at the ceiling. He hoped that Sasha had brought something from the condo that would still fit him. Brian's clothes wouldn't come close to fitting right. Rebecca stirred beside him, mumbling. He looked over at her and smiled. Nestling in close beside her, he brushed the hair away from her neck and kissed it gently. You stayed. She turned over onto her back to face him. His heart swelled at the sight of those sleepy, love-filled eyes looking at him again. How many times had he woken her up and seen that look? Of course I did, dummy. I said I would, didn't I? I guess he did. He leaned in to kiss her lips. She responded, but then broke off the kiss a second later and turned away, her expression troubled. Daniel immediately felt guilty. I'm sorry. Rebecca nodded distractedly, saying nothing. Her hand strayed down to her pregnant belly. 
Daniel could sense the unborn girl waking up as her mother touched her mind. Brian's girl. Daniel turned and swung his legs over the opposite side of the bed, putting his head in his hands. Guess we can't just stay here and hope our problems won't find us. Never works. Got anything for me to wear? She nodded. Sasha was supposed to get some stuff. Help me get up and I'll go look for it. He came around to her side of the bed and took her hand, bracing her as she pulled herself up. As their skin touched, he felt Becca's own conflicted desires and the huge amount of self-control she was using to push down her longing for Daniel. She held thoughts of her love for Brian, Fiona, and Sasha in her mind, cycling through them in an endless litany to keep her mind off of Daniel's naked body. He caught her eyes for a moment. Both of them blushed, but neither of them said anything. Rebecca left and came back with a pile of clothes, a bathrobe, and a towel. She kept her eyes averted as he put on the robe and went to the bathroom to shower. When he came out 20 minutes later, Becca was sitting at the kitchen table with Fiona and Brian, doodling on her napkin while she stared at the remains of her breakfast. Sasha stood behind the kitchen counter, next to a plate with two eggs over medium, two slices of whole wheat toast, and a side of extra crispy bacon. The little blonde teep forced a smile. Did I get it right? Read my mind, Daniel said, giving her a smile that felt equally fake. Thanks, Sasha. She nodded. Juice is on the table. Coffee's brewing. You can take my seat. Daniel took the plate and sat down between Rebecca and Fiona. He poured a glass of orange juice, took a sip, set it down again. He looked up. Fiona, Brian, and Sasha were all looking at him. Fee was as unreadable as ever, and Sasha looked like she'd rather be anywhere else right now. But it was Brian's eyes that Daniel had the hardest time meeting. Not because Brian was angry, but because he wasn't. Five years in MID had brought out a side of Brian that Daniel never would have expected in their high school days. His experiences had turned Brian into a leader and a warrior, one who was harder and stronger than anyone could have imagined. That was the person Daniel had expected to find waiting for him at the kitchen table. But when he looked up at Brian now, he saw the kind, geeky friend who had cheered at all his games, helped him get through calculus, and envied the way the girls drooled over Daniel's perfect body. He saw the friend who had wanted what Daniel had without resenting him for having it. The friend who had, eventually, gotten all the things that Daniel had. Even Daniel's girl. Daniel looked into his friend's eyes and saw pity for what he had become and guilt that he had benefited at Daniel's expense. Brian's thoughts were guarded, but his eyes pleaded for understanding. It was as if he was saying, I didn't ask for things to be this way. Please don't hate me for loving the one you weren't allowed to keep. And there was something else in those eyes, too. The fear that Daniel had come to take back what Brian had. The fear that maybe Rebecca had really been Daniel's, and only Daniel's, all along. Daniel sighed and looked down at his plate. Look, I'm sorry I got you guys wrapped up in my problems. I... I thought I could deal with this myself. That I could find a way to get my life together and actually make it into something I could live with. But everything I've tried to do just made things worse. He looked up at Fiona. You're suspicious of me, Fee. You probably think that I'm trying to wriggle myself into your lives and convince Rebecca to run away with me. A muscle tightened in Fiona's jaw, but she said nothing. You have every right to be suspicious. And the truth is, it wasn't all that long ago that I thought about trying to do something just like that. He wanted to look away from those cool green eyes, to hang his head and stare at his plate. But Fiona had been his teammate once, the solid rock that he and the rest of his friends had always looked to for strength and perspective. He owed her this. It was selfish and wrong. And more than that, it was stupid, because I understand now that she would never leave this cell, this family. He turned to Brian and Sasha, hoping that they could see the truth in his words. She really does love you. She loves all of you. Rebecca looked up, her cheeks burning. Yeah, I do. She said, raising her voice as if to remind them that she was still here. They turned to look at her, and she fidgeted. The thing is, 
I really love Daniel, too. She gave them a half-hearted smile. It's not an either-or kind of thing, you know? It's not like I can't love you, Sash, and still love Brian. Or you, Fee. She shrugged. Same thing with Daniel. I love you all, but it's... It's different with each of you. You guys get that, right? Of course we do, Fiona said, her voice surprisingly gentle. The question was whether Daniel understood it. She looked back at him, and he saw a glimmer of respect in her eyes. Which I believe you do. He nodded soberly. I do. I hope you'll forgive me for thinking otherwise before. He turned to Rebecca and touched her hand. I hope you'll forgive me for treating you like a prize to be won. Rebecca smiled a little and gripped his hand. Her forgiveness would have been evident in her eyes, even if he couldn't feel it in her emotions. He looked back to Fiona, and she gave one small nod. A thought struck him, and he let out a choked laugh. (laughs) All this time I was so jealous of what you guys had together, and you're the ones who end up saving my ass. He looked at each of them in turn, tears welling up suddenly in his eyes. Brian reached across the table to him, and Daniel took the offered hand, gripping it tightly. That's what friends are supposed to do. We take care of our own. And if the whole situation with Josephine has taught us anything, it's that sometimes taking care of your own means that you go out on a limb to help the little guy. Of course, at 180-something, you're sort of pushing the definition of little. (laughs) (laughs) They all laughed except for Fiona, who closed her eyes and smirked, and Daniel felt the tension break at last. He grinned up at Sasha, who smiled back and nodded, as if to say, You're welcome. He felt a pang of regret that he'd ever let himself grow apart from these friends, the ones who had gone to the wall for him when no one else would. Anyway, as soon as Becca realized what Jared was capable of, this whole thing got bigger than just you and Danny. Daniel grimaced. Yeah, part of me really wants to know what that's about, and part of me is afraid to find out. He looked at the clock on the stove. It was already after eleven. Not that I have a lot of choice. My timeshare on this body is going to expire in about two hours. He looked up at Brian. I think you may have to tie me up. I don't suppose you've got any rope around here? Maybe some handcuffs? Brian exchanged a look with Fiona, his face turning scarlet. Fiona sat back in her chair, her Southmoran eyes twinkling with amusement. Daniel felt his face grow hot, and he was glad his dark skin didn't show his embarrassment as easily as Brian's. On second thought, forget I asked. We've got a better idea anyway, Sasha said, clearly fighting to keep the laughter out of her voice. We're going to take you back to Artex and see if he can get to the bottom of this. Maybe he can undo whatever it is that Jared did to Danny, or cook up some kind of shield for it. Daniel nodded. I don't know what he'll be able to do now that he couldn't do before, but yeah, let's give it a try. Maybe he's figured something out in the last few weeks. I certainly hope so, Fiona said. She smirked. Because if I have to use my toys to restrain Danny... You are going to have to replace them. Daniel helped Brian clean up after breakfast while the girls hit the showers together. He found it comforting to be able to do something practical at the nest. He washed the dishes and Brian dried them, and for a while it was almost as if he belonged there. All the same, he was not surprised when Brian broke the companionable silence. Hey, Daniel. Can I talk to you about something? Daniel took a moment to scrub an imaginary spot off of the plate he was holding. Sure, what's up? Brian responded so quickly that Daniel was sure he'd rehearsed this conversation several times before bringing it up. I want to thank you for your honesty earlier. When you said that you'd thought about trying to win Rebecca away from us? Daniel just nodded, and he continued. That took guts, man, and I want you to know that I do forgive you. Daniel rinsed off the plate and handed it to him. Thanks, but I sense a butt coming. Brian smiled humorlessly. We all know Rebecca wants to find a way to renew her relationship with you. It's no secret what you two mean to each other, and I don't begrudge you that. 
But breeding cells aren't just about sex and romance, D. We put this family together for the purpose of raising children. So we need to make sure that whatever we're doing is providing the best environment for our children that we can manage. Daniel nodded, turning to look Brian in the eyes. I can accept that. I don't have any problem with helping to raise your kids, Bri. I'm willing to commit to this family, if you'd have me. I believe you, but it's not just you we have to think about either. It's the whole group dynamic. I did some reading on this last night, D. There have been a few larger breeding cells in the past that had more than one man in them, but it rarely works well in the long run. He shook his head. Blame it on our instincts. Women are natural community builders, but men are just too competitive by nature to live with potential rivals. He said the words without anger, as matter-of-factly as one could say such a thing. But there it was, just the same. Sure, we'll build our little harems, and we've got no problem with it if the women have something going between them on the side. But bring another cock into the mix and things get ugly. Gods, we're such hypocrites. Of course, Daniel had a counter-argument for this. He knew it was probably just going to make the conversation even more awkward, but he had to say it anyway. I get that, Bri. But you know... He looked down at the sink full of dishes again. I'm only half male now. Theoretically, I wouldn't have to be a rival. Brian sighed. He'd seen the topic coming, and now it sat there between them like a dead fish on the counter. Could you fuck one of your best friends if you were a woman? There might be more uncomfortable topics to bring up between guys, but Daniel couldn't think of any at the moment. Okay. Theoretically, yes, you're right. But that's a big step to take, Daniel. For you and for us. And to be honest, I don't think you're in a position to be making offers that Danny's gonna have to keep. He pointed a finger at Daniel's head. You are literally double-minded, bro. And last I checked, you and your sister aren't exactly getting along. Daniel lowered his head, his cheeks burning. I understand. If you want me to leave, I'll leave. I'm not telling you to leave. And I'm not telling you to stay either. All I'm saying is that you want us to turn our family into the test bed for a very weird social experiment. And if we're going to give this a try, there are certain things that we expect of you first. There's the leader I was looking for earlier. Such as? Three main things. First off, you've got to get this conflict resolved between you and Danny. She tried to smother you, D. Sorry, but that doesn't fill me with a lot of confidence. Show me that you can live peacefully with yourself before you ask me to put my family into the middle of it. Daniel could accept that. Hells, if he and Danny couldn't get along, he was going to have a lot bigger problems to worry about. Fair enough. What else? Brian held up two fingers. Openness. You've got walls around a lot of things inside you right now. Your honesty about wanting to take Rebecca away was a good start, but we can tell that there are other things inside you that you aren't letting us see. Even I can see it, and I'm nowhere near the strongest heap in this cell. He spread his hands. Now maybe it's because of guilt or embarrassment or just your instincts kicking in, but those walls are going to interfere with the gestalts that we depend on to keep this family united. Daniel smiled nervously as he tried to suppress any thoughts about his involvement with Victor or the deaths of Dal and Trace. What, you're going to tell me that you guys don't keep anything private? I've seen Fiona's walls, Brian. You could hold back the sea of stars with them. Brian's expression turned sad. Yes, and we've been learning the hard way what happens when you let secrets fester. He shrugged. We'll give you time to deal with whatever it is, just like we are with Fiona. But you need to commit to the process, okay? To actually deal with this stuff instead of suppressing it. Daniel wondered how he could ever trust them enough to open up about everything he'd done, but he nodded anyway. He'd deal with it later. Fine. What's number three? Brian leaned back against the counter. Once you've got things sorted out with Danny, if you both still want to try this, then you can come live with us for a... let's call it a probationary period. You live like a member of this family. You join the gestalts. You help with the chores. Pool your food budget with ours. Get up in the middle of the night to tend to the baby. He crossed his arms. But you don't have sex with Rebecca. 
not until Sasha, Fiona, and I are okay with it. Daniel frowned, putting his hands on his hips. And how long will that be? Brian's posture softened. Only until we're convinced that the family matters to you as much as she does. Look, you know us, D. I'm not going to dangle Beckett out in front of you like a carrot on a string. But you don't build a tower without building the foundation first. And it's the same thing with a marriage. Even a group marriage like this one. He put a hand on Daniel's shoulder and squeezed it gently. Building trust takes time, you know? Daniel sighed and nodded. Yeah, I guess I do. All right, Brian, you've got a deal. He gave his friend a wan smile. Thanks for giving it to me straight. Brian smiled back and opened his arms, offering a hug. Daniel accepted it and actually felt a little better afterwards. At least now he knew where he stood. A voice came from the hallway behind them. Observe the distinctive bonding ritual between the two males, Sasha said, speaking with the hushed tones of a nature documentary. This important behavior is usually practiced in secret, away from the eyes of females. But here, our photographer was lucky enough to catch it on film. Note how the male's dominant arm is kept level with the ground during the embrace, while the two manly thumbs on the back serve to convey the ancient message, I love you, man, but not in that way. (laughs) Rebecca giggled. Damn straight, Daniel said, turning around to give Sasha a lopsided grin. Her skin had that bright pink color that pale-skinned folks got when they lingered in the shower too long. Rebecca looked just as radiant as ever. Both of them had their purses and looked dressed to leave. Yes, you are, Sasha said, grinning wickedly back at him. But don't worry, we can cure that now. Daniel blushed and Sasha held up her keys. Ready to go? As ready as I'll ever be. Let's go see the wizard. Abby Preston sat hunched over the small, battered kitchen table, trying to focus on the textbook in front of her. She'd been at it for hours, and she'd barely gotten through five pages. She looked at the stack of loose-leaf paper she used for note-taking and was dismayed to find that she hadn't even filled a page yet. History wasn't her favorite subject, but she normally did better than this. She looked out the apartment's tiny window and sighed. There was nothing outside it but gray walls, traffic below, and the undersides of skyways above. She'd been spoiled living in Westfall, where they'd had gardens and open sky, and you could see the mountains on both sides of the valley. This was the view that most people in Metamore saw, a world of concrete and steel hemming you in on all sides. Even when you were outside, you were still living in a box. She pushed back the book and put her head in her hands. It wasn't that she didn't understand the importance of studying. She knew that she had to pass the Empire's standardized tests in order to stay in the home-based education program. If she couldn't prove that she was learning on her own, they'd make her go to a public school with the Mundys, and Victor was sure that the elders were watching for her to show up there. She knew it was at stake, and up till now she had never had a problem with teaching herself. Today, though, she couldn't focus on the lesson. Her eyes kept wandering back to the far corner of the table, where a little plastic wand sat atop a pile of tissues. She looked around the tiny one-bedroom apartment, at the cheap and faded carpets, the peeling wallpaper, the notched and chipped wooden cabinets. She looked at the roach trap in the corner of the room, and the walls that were so thin that Abby would have known all about her neighbors even if she weren't a telepath. Nothing was different from yesterday but everything had changed. She heard footsteps in the hallway, and instinctively her mind reached out to scan whoever was coming this way. She got only a jumble of mental static, incoherent fragments of thoughts and feelings. There was only one man whose mind sounded like that to her. She pulled the book in front of her again and hid the plastic wand in her lap. Victor opened the door of the flat a moment later, smiling and humming contentedly. He carried two shopping bags and a telekinetic grip beside him. As he waved a hand and set them on the counter, he locked the door with his free hand and then came over to Abby. Hey there, sweetheart, he said, kissing her on the forehead. How's school coming? Okay. Not great, but okay. Well, not to worry. I brought some fresh fish from the market to feed that brilliant little brain of yours. How do you want it? Broiled or fried? Oh, 
I, I don't know. Either one sounds good. Victor waved his fingers and began unloading the bags, the groceries setting themselves out on the table as though they were tied to invisible strings. The drawer under the oven slid open and a pan floated up to land on the stove. I think we'll do fried. I haven't had fish and chips in a long while. (laughs) He chuckled then at some unspoken thought that Abby couldn't read. What? What's funny? Oh, nothing much, Victor said, patting her head. Abby hated that, but she hid her feelings down where he couldn't hear them. Instead, she imagined that she was happy and put that up near the surface of her thoughts. It was a lot like drama club, only harder. Victor didn't seem to notice the difference. I was just thinking of my old buddy Egan. Fish and chips were his favorite. Oh. Abby thought carefully for a moment, then asked, Is that where you went last night? To see Mr. Egan? Victor seemed surprised by the question. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, no, 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 Abby. Egan is dead, I'm afraid. No, I got a message from one of my contacts and I had to follow up on it right away. You know how the work is. Abby nodded. How did he die? Victor's smile faded. The Elder sent him on a suicide mission. He should have known better than to take it, but Egan always had more loyalty than sense. That's what loyalty to the Elders get you, Abby. Hard work in an early grave. Yes, sir. Victor cocked his head and looked at her, his brow creasing. What's the matter, baby? You look worried. Abby blushed and lowered her head. When she looked back up at him, she forced a smile. Sorry, I just wasn't sure how to tell you. She pulled the plastic wand from her lap and held it up. I'm pregnant. For a moment, Victor stared at the wand. Then his face split into a huge grin. That, he said, picking her up and kissing her is wonderful news! (laughs) He laughed, spinning her in a circle. His joy rose to the surface, rising through the mental static that always surrounded him these days. And for a moment, he was once again the man she'd fallen in love with. She laughed with him and wrapped her arms around his neck. He wrapped his strong arms around her and she felt safe. At last, he set her down, still beaming. You've made my day, little one. Now, go start packing while I make us some lunch. Abby frowned. Packing? Why? She didn't particularly like where they were living now, but they'd already moved twice since they left Westfall, and every time the neighborhoods got worse. My contact said the elders are getting close to figuring out where we live. He said it casually, as if he refused to let it spoil his good mood, but Abby knew it had to be serious for them to move again already. It's for your safety, Abby. I have to make sure nothing happens to you. Especially with what you've got inside you now. He put his hands on her shoulders and smiled down at her. Don't worry. Soon I'll find the people chasing us and make them stop. Then we'll have all the time in the world. Then he drew her into another hug. But this time, Abby didn't feel safe. Daniel fidgeted as Artak's mind-scanning device hummed and whirled around him. The old man had added a few new components since the last time Daniel saw it, and none of the additions looked very friendly. The feeling of having a techno-magical construct coming through his brain was still creepy as hell. Was that really necessary? He asked when the straps released and he was able to remove his head. Again? Artax gave him a chiding look, his bushy eyebrows nodding together over his piercing blue eyes. Proper baseline measurements are always important, Master Shirabi, as you should well know. You've been through substantial changes since last we met, not the least of them being that your soul has split in two. Daniel shivered. I wish someone had told me about that. Well, we hardly expected the results to be as dramatic as they were. Something odd has happened to you, boy, even by the standards of magic. Perversely, Artax smiled. I'm actually looking forward to working on your case. It's been a long time since I've put my hand in a completely new field of research. Rebecca stared at the wizard, sputtering. How can you say that? What Jared did to Daniel, it's... it's wrong. Evil. I know he didn't mean it, but... She waved her hands in the air incoherently. And you're acting like it's some kind of 
of, of class project. She pointed at Daniel. Doesn't this scare you? Scare me? Artax barked, stepping up to look Rebecca in the eyes. My dear girl, of course it scares me. The whole notion of a soul shaper is bloody terrifying. I have half a mind to call down a meteor on Master Tamlin's head and be done with it. Rebecca backed away, flinching at the old man's sudden intensity. Artax seemed to notice the fear in her eyes and immediately lowered his voice. All the more reason to learn all we can from Daniel and Danny, he said, turning back to Daniel. I'm afraid I have yet to find a cure for your alter ego's conditioning. It may be that it will reverse itself given time. Of course, that means we must do everything in our power to keep Danny away from Jared. Sasha gave him a worried look. You'd better plan on taking some time off work, D. You know Jared's going to come looking for Danny. Daniel sighed heavily. I have some sick time coming. Brainwashing is a sickness, right? He rubbed at the bridge of his nose, trying to dispel the twinges of a headache that he'd gotten from Artax's scanner. I guess I should put in for a transfer to another lab while I'm at it. Sasha put a comforting hand on his arm. We've got an opening for a med tech at Eastside General. I'll put in a recommendation for you. Daniel gave her a small but grateful smile. Thanks, Sasha. It would be nice to be somewhere I actually knew somebody. The smile faded rapidly as another thought struck him. Oh, gods. But if I'm at work as me for ten hours a day, what are we going to do about Danny? As soon as she comes out, she's going to go straight for Jared. You really are going to have to keep me tied up at night. Artex scoffed. Much as the image of Danny tied to a bed has a certain appeal, I have a better solution. He beckoned them out of his office and into the warehouse beyond. Come with me. He led them to a stretch of plain gray wall along the back of the warehouse, completely indistinguishable from the walls on either side of it. Indistinguishable to Daniel, at any rate. Rebecca's eyes widened and began to glow yellow as Artax approached the wall and put his hand up to its surface. Secret passage! Sure enough, a hairline seam appeared in the surface of the wall, then swung slowly inward to reveal a long, dimly lit hallway. The hidden door and its frame were both at least two decimeters thick. Artax gestured for them to enter ahead of him. Tentatively, Daniel stepped into the gloom. The hallway beyond had three doors along its right side and a smooth gray metal wall along its left. At the end of the hall was an open doorway to a small room, which glowed a soft blue with the light from what Daniel guessed were computer monitors. Artax swung the door shut behind them, bolting it into place with a heavy wheel-shaped handle. Sasha stiffened as soon as the door closed. I can't hear anything. She looked over at Artax. Lead in the walls? Artax nodded. And cold-forged iron, and a smidgen of mithril. Welcome to the sanctuary, my dear. Daniel went up to the nearest door and pushed it open. It looked like steel, but it was far too heavy for its thickness. More lead, he supposed. Inside, he found a comfortably sized hotel suite, complete with its own restroom, television, closet, cupboards, and writing desk. Even a tiny refrigerator and a minibar. An old-fashioned corded phone sat on the nightstand. Everything looked clean and comfortable. Even the bed, which he found was softer than most hotel-issue mattresses. It all would have been very comforting, except for two things. The cameras mounted to the ceilings, and the heavy locks that bolted shut from the outside. Sasha and Rebecca followed Daniel inside, though Sasha lingered near the door and kept a wary eye on the wizard. Artax joined her in the doorway a moment later. Not everyone who learns magic is able to control their power responsibly. The sanctuary was built as a safe haven for young mages who have lost themselves, and sometimes for their victims as well. Mind control is the most seductive of the magical arts, and both the abused and the abusers often need treatment in places like this before they can be returned to society. Not at the same time, I hope. Artax chuckled. Not when it can be avoided, no. He turned to Daniel. Danny will be safe here until we can determine whether her conditioning is permanent. And if so, how to cure her. We can monitor her through the closed-circuit TV cameras and speak to her through the desk phone. 
No form of scrying or clairvoyance will reveal her location. As far as Jared is concerned, she will simply disappear. Daniel sat down on the edge of the bed. Which means I have to disappear, too. At least for a while. I mean, if Jared can't find Danny, he might come looking for me next. It would be best for you to stay here full-time for a while. We don't know the range of Jared's influence, so if we want to give Danny's conditioning a chance to reverse itself, complete isolation is the best option. Plan to stay here at least a few days until we see whether she's responding to the treatment. Rebecca sat next to him and took his hand in hers. Don't worry, Dee. We're not going to leave you alone here. Anything you need, just let me know and I'll bring it by first chance I get. Thank you all. He frowned, an unpleasant thought rising in his mind. Artex, sir, what is all this going to cost? I don't have a lot of money. Not anymore, anyway. Artex raised an eyebrow in Sasha's direction. I thought you said you could pay me well for my help, Miss King. And we did, before. She fidgeted uncomfortably. But I'm not sure if even we can afford the bills for magic rehab. Artex smiled beneficently. Not to worry, my dear. Most of the patients who come to the sanctuary are similarly short on funds. In such circumstances, I have found that the best solution is to resort to the classics. The three teeps gave him a wary look. Your immortal soul? Your firstborn child? Seven years, seven secrets, and an old man's dying breath? Daniel and Sasha turned to stare at Rebecca. She shrugged, grinning sheepishly. My bedtime stories had a lot of fairies in them. Artax laughed. (laughs) Nothing so dramatic, children. Let us say that you shall owe me three favors to be redeemed at a time and place of my choosing. If you, or any member of your little family, has it in their power to fulfill what I ask of you, it shall be done. Quickly, expediently and with a minimum of whining. Sasha crossed her arms, giving him an appraising look. It can't be anything that endangers our children. Artax raised his hands innocently. I wouldn't dream of it. And no sex, either. The old man snorted. Do I look like a fool? Well, you are wearing a pointy hat and fuzzy slippers. Artax glared at her for a moment, then turned back to Daniel. Do I have your word, Master Shirabi? Daniel sighed, but he nodded. You have my word. Miss Brower? Miss King? You have my word, too. And mine. Daniel felt an odd sensation then, like a gentle tingling on the back of his neck. He swallowed back the lump in his throat. He'd always wondered what a geish felt like. Promises had power, especially when they were given willingly to a man like Artax. The old man clapped his hands together and smiled at them all, looking like a cat who'd just swallowed a particularly tasty canary. Very well, then. Now that that's out of the way, I suggest that we leave here and let Danny come out to play. Daniel felt Rebecca straighten up in alarm. What? Uh, already? But Daniel just got here. Shouldn't you be... I don't know, doing treatments or cooking potions or something? There is nothing more to be learned until we have a baseline of Danny's behavior when she is isolated from Jared. The longer we wait, the more time we waste, and the more shifting stress Daniel will accumulate. He's already past the 12-hour recommended limit. The longer he waits to relinquish control to Danny, the harder his mind will snap back into her control. It's time to put your feelings on hold and do what's best for Daniel. Rebecca looked away and blushed, saying nothing. It's all right, Bex, Daniel said, squeezing her hand. In another twelve hours or so, I'll be able to come out again. It's not that bad. If she lets you come out again, there's no limit on how long she can stick around. She looked up at him, eyes welling up with tears. I just got you back. I don't want to lose you again. It's not fair. Daniel took her in his arms and rested his forehead against hers. He closed his eyes, and two tears ran down his own face. I have to do this. You know that. She choked back a sob and nodded. He drew back and gently brushed the tears from her cheeks. Be strong for me. Be 
Be strong like you were when you came and rescued me. I know you can do it. He smiled through his tears. You were more gutsy and stubborn than we ever gave you credit for. She laughed at that, in spite of her tears. (laughs) I guess I kind of surprised myself. He took her hands and folded them inside his, pressing them over his heart. I need you to be that woman for me. The woman who'd walk through fire to pull me out of that place I was trapped in. As long as I know I have that Rebecca on my side, I'll never give up. Danny won't be able to lock me up again. Not as long as I know that you're waiting for me on the outside. Rebecca looked into his eyes for a long moment. Then she set her jaw and nodded, her expression brave and determined. I can do that. Daniel smiled and raised her clenched fists to his lips, kissing them. That's what I needed to hear. Sasha put a gentle hand on Rebecca's shoulder. Come on, Bex. Our text says we can watch from the room down the hall. Rebecca and Daniel rose to their feet, embracing one last time. Then Rebecca took Sasha's arm and let her lead her out of the room. Outside the doorway, Rebecca looked back at Daniel and stretched out to him with her mind, sending him waves of love and devotion and a wordless promise to remain strong. Daniel responded in turn, putting on a brave face and sending her as much encouragement as he could muster. Then the door swung shut, the bolt slid into place, and their mental bond fell silent. We'll be back with more of the Metamore City podcast right after these messages. Do you drool over the latest cutting-edge technology? Are you the first in line for the latest sci-fi movie? Do you stay up late at night playing video games? Do you consider being called a geek a badge of honor? Then Geek Cred is the show for you. Join me, Steve Rickyberg, as I bring you behind-the-scenes interviews to give you the inside scoop on everything geek. From tech to sci-fi to games, you name it, we geek it. Geek Cred. Are you geek enough? To download and subscribe, visit www.geekcred.net and get your geek on. Fans of mystery and fantasy agree, Murder at Avedon Hill is just awesome. Mark Yoshimoto Nemkov, author of the Parsec Award-winning Number One with a Bullet, says, With Murder at Avedon Hill, P.G. Holyfield creates a mysterious world full of twists and creatures worth diving into. Head first. T. Morris, creator of the Billabub Baddings Mysteries, notes, P.G. Holyfield creates a realm rich in its culture and lore and then shatters its sweet innocence with a murder that begs to be solved. Seth Harwood, author of the Jack Palms crime series, says, P.G. Holyfield is one of the best podcast fiction writers out here. Listen to this book and you'll never turn back. And Michael Spence of Brother Osric's Scriptorium sums it up this way. If you enjoy the kind of hard-headed sleuthing practiced in a world without modern forensics, you'll like watching Aramis Cragen and his protege Aaron pursue their investigation in the intriguing and, thanks to a talented cast of voice artists, colorfully populated village of Avedon Hill. Avedon Hill has many secrets, and some of them have been revealed. But as an undead hunter's fears are vindicated, and as a family does everything in its power to protect its way of life, Greta Platt's killer remains a mystery. With Murder at Avedon Hill moving into its stretch run, now is the perfect time to try the finalist for Best Podcast Novel at the 2008 Fall Podcast Peer Awards. A story of fantasy and mystery, of magic and spirit, which author Scott Roche says owes as much to Agatha Christie as to J.R.R. Tolkien. Subscribe now at iTunes, through podiobooks.com, or through the podcast website at pgholyfield.com. A killer is afoot. Divine powers walk across Cairn, and for the town of Avedon Hill, a battle hundreds of years in the making is coming to a head. Stop on by. You won't want to miss it when the children come out to play. Hi, this is Mer Lafferty, author of Heaven and host of I Should Be Writing, and you're listening to the Metamore City Podcast. Hey, thanks, Mer. Well, we're back, folks, but it is 5 o'clock Pacific Standard Time on Saturday night. So, once again, I am down to the wire here in the process of trying to put these episodes together. 
and I don't have time to go through a lot of feedback. I figured that I could delay the episode um, and then get a decent size feedback section in here, but who wants that, really? I know that what you guys really care about most is the story. So that's what I'm deciding to do here. I am going ahead with the episode, and we're going to have to push back feedback to next time. However, because I have pushed this back once already, and I do not want to overly tempt the wrath of the uber nemesis, here is a bit of feedback from the man himself, T. Morris. Hey Chris, it's T. Morris. And no, I'm not going to announce myself as the uber nemesis because then that would really put a weird slant on this voicemail. I feel compelled to come to you. I'm not sure as what. I'm not sure as an equal. I'm not sure as a fan. But you know what? I'm calling shenanigans. I'm, I'm, I'm calling serious shenanigans on Rebecca, Brian, the entire little cell that... Brian and his, you know, Charlie's Angels like harem are, are having. What business, what business is it of theirs? They have not even seen Danny, uh, Daniel, Daniel, Daniel. See, now I'm getting them screwed up. Maybe I'm too close to this. Maybe I'm too close to Metamore City because I'm one of your voices and I'm the, 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 um, the, the, the better half of the Ava Evan category. But let's get back to what I, what I was talking about. I'm calling shenanigans on the whole little psi collective harem thing here. They haven't even seen Dan. Let's just call him Dan. They haven't seen Dan in a long time. And then out of the blue, out of the freaking blue, without any sort of, you know, hey man, how's it going? Staying in touch with them. You know, they've shunned him because, you know, Brian's getting it on with all the ladies. And now all of a sudden, Daniel's become their priority and they're buttoning in in his life. You know, Daniel, as Danny, was finally getting some happiness. And you know, when Danny told Rebecca to F off, I was rooting for Danny because I'm like, yeah, yeah. I mean, she finally finds some happiness. He finally finds it. Okay. Daniel Danny finally gets some happiness in his life, his, her life. Man, this is confusing. And yet... Rebecca takes it upon herself to butt in and completely, more or less, wreck his life. You know? And, uh, now granted, I I did say in an interview that I have yet to post that um, things were moving fast between, uh, with with Danny and and the new beau. But at the same time, I'm sitting there going, you know, he's trying a new life. He's trying a new life. And he was actually moving on. And now Rebecca just comes in and goes, no, there's something wrong with this. I don't like it. And I just think Rebecca's being sort of a manipulative bitch. I mean, she's she's boning, she's, she's boning Brian. She's part of the harem. She needs to let him go. And I guess I just don't understand why Daniel is going for this. Why he's buying this. You know, I, I, just, I just had to give a little vent here because I I guess I'm just going to come out and say it. I really don't like this nasty, nasty turn for 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 Brian. I mean, for uh, for for Daniel Danny, because honestly, I I don't know. I just I just feel like I just feel like Rebecca is buttoned in. She's buttoned in or she's not wanted. And I think it's wrong. You know, she's got her life. They haven't even been in touch. And then, boom, they finally get in touch with each Oh, yeah, and now I'm going to, quote, unquote, save your life because I don't like the direction it's going in. You know, like I said, I'm calling shenanigans. So you tell me, what right does Brian and Rebecca and the entire little cell, what right do they have to butt in on Danny's life? Just saying. Okay, rant's done. Talk to you later, man. Bye. Let it never be said that T. Morris does not speak his mind. Seriously, thanks for the feedback, T. And I realized after I got this feedback from you that there was an important element of Dan and... Well, now you got me doing it. Daniel and Rebecca's relationship that I had not really gone into in the text. 
And that was the fact that, you know, Rebecca and the Summer Cell have really been trying to include Daniel in their lives as a friend, as a compatriot, as much as possible. He was always welcome at the cell, at the nest, but he tended to avoid it because it made him uncomfortable. He didn't want the unhappy reminders of what had been, of what had been, um, you know, the fact that he'd had that relationship with Rebecca that was intimate sexually, and then was told by the hive that he wasn't allowed to have that anymore. And they went along with that too, because, you know, that was how they were raised. That was the will of the hive. And they were trained to be good citizens good members of the collective. Well, now you're starting to see a lot of that unravel um, through the experiences that they've been through. Yeah, Daniel and Brian and Rebecca and Sasha and all the whole group, they, their tolerance of the way that the Hive does things is really wearing thin. And for good reason. We can see some of the decisions that the Hive has made that have not been really in the best interests of the individual members. And so that was something that I should have given more time to, the fact that uh, Daniel still, there was a continuity of relationship between him and Rebecca and the Summer Cell. It wasn't like they just, you know, dumped him and never had anything more to do with him. They would be getting into contact with him and trying to build those that relationship to keep it up. And he's the one who really allowed it to grow apart, to separate and uh, that was largely because of his own feelings about the situation and his feeling like he was intruding into the midst of a relationship that he didn't really feel like he could be part of anymore. So that is, uh, that's what was going on. And that's the reason why uh, the Summer Cell felt like they had a right and an obligation to get involved. You know, they saw... Daniel going through this radical personality change, this radical shift in who he was to the point that he changed his sex, that he went through the curse and that, you know, Danny came into existence. And so that in and of itself was enough cause for concern. You add on top of that the fact that Danny had suddenly cut off all contact with her old friends, including her roommate, including Rebecca, who had been the one person in the, the summer cell that Daniel had still regularly talked to, and then made this irrevocable, life-altering decision without talking to any of her friends about it, or even mentioning it ahead of time. She just went ahead and did it. And then on top of that, as you made note of in your um, episode in well in the interview in Survival Guide to Writing Fantasy, which I am assuming is someday going to air. Hint, hint. <laughs> you had made mention of the fact that this relationship with Danny and Jared moved way too fast, happened out of the blue, and that it was creepy, and that it was, you know, that the, this degree to which Jared latched on to Danny was unhealthy and obsessive. And I wouldn't disagree with that one bit. I think, you know, Jared is a good guy, but he's got some issues. And Danny has got some issues. And this sort of... You, you add all these things together, all these elements that were just evidence of drastic change in... Daniel slash Danny's psyche. And of course, his friends are going to be concerned. His friends are going to get worried. And they're going to decide that it's time for an intervention. Now, did they have the right to intervene? Well, that's a difficult question. That's one of those tough things that I don't know if there really is an answer for. When are you justified in intervening in someone else's life for their own good? And, uh, that's something that I think that every individual has to make on their own, that decision, uh, based on the circumstances. In this case, uh, Rebecca had some fairly strong inclinations to get involved, 
both because of her feelings for Daniel, which never went away, as you can see in the last couple of episodes, and also because the whole idea of mind control, of manipulating someone else's way of thinking, you know, that's a big violation of, of the code of conduct that the Psy Collective believes in. Well, <laughs> that members of the Psy Collective believe in, I should say. Um, the point is the people are taught within the collective that you don't abuse the ability to manipulate people's minds, that that kind of power comes with a tremendous amount of responsibility not to misuse it. And for someone to suddenly change Danny's mind, in even more than that, to change her soul without any sort of consent or prior warning, um, yeah, that triggers a few buttons for people like Rebecca. You know, it really comes down to the question of what is the higher good, to seek a person's happiness or to seek that person's freedom? If you knew that someone was going to live with a happy and contented life, but that they were gaining that happiness and their, that contentment because they'd lost their own will in the process, and they'd lost their own capacity for self-determination, their own ability to pursue their own life, and they were just forced to become what someone else wanted them to be. If those are the conditions for happiness, you know, is it right to step in and say that that's not a kind of happiness that anyone should be uh, subjected to? If a person has to sacrifice all that he or she is in order to receive happiness, can you really say that that person is the person who has become happy? Or has the person who existed before just ceased to exist? and become this other person who is whatever they had been made to be. You know, it's, it's not an easy question. And even Daniel wrestles with his choice, as uh, you see in a couple of episodes ago when Sasha woke him up. He had to make that choice of whether to stay with Jared or go back to Rebecca. And Daniel, by far, had gotten the short end of the deal. You know, ultimately, Rebecca came down on the side that it was more important to protect Danny's or Danny's and Daniel's freedom at the expense of their happiness. And, uh, well, as we're seeing now, that is having some consequences. And it's not an easy choice, and it is going to be a painful choice. But that's the choice that she felt was right, and I can't say that I disagree with her. So, thank you very much for coming and sharing your thoughts, T, and I am hopeful that this little explanation will help you and anyone else who was sort of turned off by uh, the summer cell behavior to understand more of what's going on there and what was going on behind the scenes, and to see that the situation was a little more complicated than just, you know, Rebecca butting in. Yeah, she was, but it was for reasons that you could make a good argument, are justified. So, that'll do it for feedback for today. If you would like to participate in this ongoing conversation about the show, you can call in to 206-350-7333. You can also email your comments in voice or in text form to feedback at metamorcity.com. You can participate in the online discussion forums at thecursed.org. Those are the fan-driven forums. And you can also leave your messages on the blog at www.metamorecity.com. If you would like to help support the show, you can leave a review for us on iTunes. That's the best way to help spread the word about the show. Just click on the subscribe in iTunes button on the metamorecity.com front page and that'll take you right into uh, the space on iTunes where you can leave your review. So that'll do it for this week, and next time it will be just after Thanksgiving break, and I will hopefully have time to deal with any more feedback that comes in during that time. So please send in your feedback, send in your reviews, and I hope that you guys have a wonderful Thanksgiving, those of you in the United States. And for everyone else, just enjoy the next two weeks. And I will talk to you when I talk to you. Until then, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out. Some of the music on this podcast was provided by the Podshow Podsafe Music Network. 
at music.podshow.com. Some sound effects were provided by SoundSnap at soundsnap.com, while others were provided by the Freesound Project, located at freesound.iua.upf.edu. Metamore City is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 license. Find out more at creativecommons.org. That I could find a way... you think I could actually know the words to my own novel? <laughs> Fidgetididididididoo! Rebecca smiled a little and clapped. There's that damned word again. Why do I keep saying clasped? Sasha said, clearly fighting to keep the last... The, the, the last third. No. Having a nice sip of tea. I feel like Stephen Kilbride should be here. Daniel fidgeted at his art. Fidgeted.